Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And we're going to have an absolutely fun fabulous but learning time today because we're going to be talking about why and how you should be a speaker talking about your business and what you do and I know we've talked about that in the past and I've had absolutely fabulous guests talking about it but everybody does it a little bit differently and that is no different than my my guest today so please join me in welcoming Michelle let's try that again please join me in welcoming Michelle Mazer to our program today. Thank you for having me, Deb. I'm so excited to be here. You know, we really are going to have a great time. And I was having so much fun chatting with you before the program started. That's when I get to know my guests. And I could just tell this is going to be a fantastic <laughs> interview. <clears throat> so before we jump in, though, let me tell people a little bit about you. Great. So Michelle Mazer, Ph.D., gets speakers paid by creating a message that matters to audiences and the people who hire speakers. She is the CEO of Communication Rebel and the host of the Rebel Speaker podcast. She authored the Amazon best-selling books Speak Up for Your Business and Speak for Impact. After working with her, clients have gone on to book $10,000 speaking gigs, become international speakers, even speaking in front of first ladies, and negotiate their highest speaking fees. Michelle lives in Seattle, Washington with her adoring husband, three obsessive felines, and a huge collection of Duran Duran memorabilia. (laughs) So again, Michelle, welcome to our program. I'm so thrilled to be here. I can't wait to have this conversation. I know. Can can folks tell that this is going to be high energy? So, you know, (laughs) y'all, see, every once in a while, my my living in Atlanta now creeps in. Y'all buckle up. So, you know, first, let's, let's go a little bit back into your past. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide that this was the, the way you wanted to go with your career? Ooh, such a good question. And it really goes back to when I was in high school and it was my first public speaking class. Like I was a sophomore in high school and I was terrible, like really bad. I was super shy and introverted at that point in time in my life. And I hated it. I hated my public speaking class, but there was this voice in my head that was like, Michelle, this is really important. So you need to master it. And I ended up falling in love with speaking. And that led me to get a PhD in communication, which led to me being a professor for a little bit. But then going and starting my own consulting business, working with speakers. Yeah. So, you know, as we were talking before the program, and, you know, in, in the intro, I mentioned the fact that I think every business person needs to consider being a speaker. Now, you know, for some, that is not getting up in front of 10,000 people and, and telling what, you know, what their, you know, their speech is about. Sometimes it's just getting up at a networking event and talking about your business, all these various things. But, you know, why should someone who is in business need to have the skills of a professional speaker? Because it's going to be the way you promote your business and grow awareness. We are at this time with technology that everybody is a speaker, whether it's at a networking event, you want to do webinars, you want to jump on Facebook Live and tell people what you do. It's important to have those skills and to know how to talk about your business in a way that gets other people interested. Right. You know, and that is the hard part is so many people just think, oh, my gosh, I can't do it. I would be totally afraid. All these various things. Um, you know, I've gone to very small networking events, as in like less than 20 people mm-hmm. where somebody stands up and they've got their little paper in front of them. <laughs> and they're, hi, my name is Deb Creer. And I do. And I mean, you just hurt for them. 
So, you know, how do people, you know, and, and I hate the, the things that be, you know, picture everyone naked. I'm sorry. I don't want to see those people in front of me naked. So that's not going to help me speak. You know, how do people go from the, hi, I'm Deb Creer, to really being able to at least be a tolerable speaker? You know, not everybody's going <laughs> to knock it out of the ballpark every time. And I think that's the other thing is, folks, you're, some of you, you know, just, and, and even professional speakers, there are times where it just isn't happening. Mm-hmm. So, Michelle, what are some tips that you have for people to learn how to be at least a passable speaker, if not one that knocks it out of the ballpark? <laughs> Yeah, I think the number one thing to realize is that it's not about you. Okay. Like speaking is never about you. It's oh, always yeah. about the other person. Mm-hmm. So when you take yourself out of the equation and you're really looking at it as, okay, how can I help this person through my expertise, through what I do? It shifts something because now you know that the it, you are not the important person. Mm-hmm. The audience is the important person. Okay. So I think that's a good mindset shift is that it's not about you. Mm-hmm. Just always remember that. And that really cuts down on the nerves. And I do think it is just something you have to practice and get experience with. Like if you're at a networking event, you're taking out a new elevator pitch, look at it as an experiment, right? Okay. Like just give the elevator pitch, see how it goes. If it doesn't go great, that's okay. What did you learn from it? And the more you speak, the more comfortable you end up getting with speaking. So the worst thing that you can do is just hide away and think, oh, I can never do that. You want to step out of your comfort zone and really challenge yourself and say, okay, I feel like I suck at this but I'm never going to get any better if I don't do it. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it and see what happens. And the fact of the matter is most people are really forgiving of the nerves and the stumbles and everything that happens when you're first starting out. Mm -hmm. So realize that, hey, they want you to succeed and they're going to support you. And I think those three things really help give you the mindset shift that you need in order to get better and improve at public speaking because it's always about even the most polished professional speakers are always trying to improve and get better. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, one of the things that drives me nuts is when somebody does the immediate disclaimer. This is the first time I've ever done this. I hate public speaking. You know, all (laughs) don't don't do that, you know, because you're setting yourself up right away to not be good. Oh, and what if you were super talented, right? (laughs) Like, what if you say like, oh, this is my first time giving this speech and I've never done this before. And then you get up there and you do this great job and be like, people are like, wow, I wonder what she's like when she's really on her game. (laughs) You know, and don't don't tell people I'm not going to do a good job before you ever start. I mean, that's just kind of a rule of thumb. But we do see that happen all the time. And, And again, it doesn't matter if it's you know, a TED talk or, you know, something large for an industry, you know, or all these various things, and it, or even, you know, a small networking event. Just go into it and do it. You know, take the deep breaths. Don't hyperventilate, folks. You know, we've all seen that happen. And just be there. And, and, and I love this. This is on your website, and you mentioned it already. Make the audience the star of every presentation. Yes. Absolutely. Because it's the reason why we are speakers is to be of service to the audience. And when you do make them the star of your presentation, it changes everything. It changes how they respond to you. They feel like, wow, this person really gets me. They really know me. They're not talking at me like some big expert. They're Mm -hmm. at my level and taking me on this journey with them. And that is what the audience is really looking for. Right. Well, and the thing that the audiences are not looking for is to be sold to. Mm, uh, yes. You know, and, and again, that doesn't matter if it's a big presentation or a networking thing. You know, the second somebody gets up and says, I do this and this and this and it costs this. I'm like, OK, <laughs> 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 next. 
Yeah. And that was a big trend in the speaking industry for a really long time. There were like lots of gurus selling these speak to sell programs where you would get get up and you give like 15, 20 minutes of content. And then you have a big sales pitch where you're trying to get them to buy a product or service or whatever. And for me as an audience member, I always felt like that was like you're going out on a on a date, a blind date. The mm-hmm. first time you ever met the person, you're having coffee at Starbucks and 20 minutes into the conversation, they say, hey, I really like you. What's your social security number? We'll right. take out a mortgage and buy a house together. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, right. I don't know you. <laughs> or I'm not going to tell you anymore unless you buy me a steak dinner. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That that kind of bait and switch upsell. And, you know, there's also some like the ethical concerns, like using very like highly persuasive, manipulative techniques to get people to buy mm-hmm. and like just press all of their psychological buttons where they're like, oh, my gosh, if I don't buy this, I, you know, like I'm not enough. I have to buy this in order to make my business work or to make this pain go away. And that is not, that's not actually being of service to the audience. Mm -hmm. Well, and you mentioned the word pain because as marketing people, we're told that we need to solve our customer's pain. We need to make something better for them. Mm -hmm. So how then do you kind of mix that in with giving a speech? Yeah, I think your job as a speaker is to figure out what is the audience's challenge. And here's the thing. It's usually nothing to do with your topic. Like no one's sitting up at night being like, man, should I be a blogger? Should Mm -hmm. I be on Twitter? I mean, that's not what is causing people to toss and turn. So you have to think about like, all right, what is it that my people really want? What do they really desire and what's getting in their way? And when you're able to figure that out, you can start your speech by addressing that issue to show like, hey, we're all on the same page. And I had a client at one point in time and she was running a social media business and she was doing a ton of speaking, just speaking constantly. And she wasn't getting any clients from it. Yeah. In fact, what was so funny is since she was doing a lot of local speaking, she would see the same people again and again at her talk. Mm -hmm. And then she would spy on them in social media and they weren't doing anything with her content. And we started, you know, diving into like, well, why is that? Mm -hmm. And what we found is she was talking about how not to be craptastic on social media. Mm -hmm. But the real issue, the real problem is that these people were terrified of being visible. Right. Like they didn't want, they knew they had to be on social media, but they didn't want to be visible. And we repositioned her speech to really address that core fear of, you know, social media is actually a great playground for you to be visible. And all the soon as we did that, she went out, gave the, gave the speech the next time and booked like a $15,000 contract with a client because she was starting in the right place, addressing what their real challenge was. Right. Well, and in your book, um, Speak for Impact, you talk about that. And then you also talk about knowing why you were giving that presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and I love that you, you have kind of two different reasons someone should speak to get paid to speak, which, you know, I'll look, I get to use one of my visual aids. <laughs> um, you know, and, and yes, we like to get paid to speak. Then there's the other reason to speak. And that is to get clients, yeah. or customers or whatever the heck you're going to call them mm-hmm. and, you know, referrals, whatever the heck it is. I think so many people speak to speak. You know, they think, well, I I need to make my business visible. Or, yes, we do like to make money, you know, all those various things. But they don't go into it really coming down to the why. So what is that process? How does somebody figure out why they're wanting to speak or give give that presentation? Yeah, and I think 
basically it comes down to which path are you going after? And, and, and I want to caveat this by saying, yes, you can definitely get clients from speaking and get paid to speak. Right. It's not but, an either or. Yeah. It's not an either or. You can definitely do both. And usually one leads to the other. So, so that way you don't have to feel like, oh my gosh, I have to make a choice here. But I think it's about developing a strategy, like pulling back and saying, why am I doing this? And how does this lead to revenue in my business? Because I, I, you are absolutely right. There are people who are just speaking to speak and they do not have a strategic plan for how they're actually going to get paid for this. So at the outset, before you even write your speech or decide what your topic is going to be, if you think, okay, my intent with this is to build my brand awareness and get clients. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. What do you want to sell? Like at the end of all of this, like way after the speech, when you've nurtured the relationship, what is it that you are selling? And then you make that decision. And then you go back and you start thinking about, okay, what kind of conversations do I have to have in order to get to that ultimate goal? But most speakers, they, you know, they sit down at you know, with PowerPoint open and the blinking cursor there. And they're like, all right, what do I want to tell these people? Mm -hmm. And they do not go to that 10,000 foot perspective and say, okay, what, how is this going to work for my business? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and, and the whole being paid to speak issue is, mm -hmm. a, is an issue. I mean, you know, and, and because our time is valuable, you know, all these various things, and, you know, and, and we're all told as a beginning speaker, don't expect to be paid and blah, 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 blah. I follow a couple folks on Facebook who have point blank said they will not speak if they're not paid. I mean, that's <laughs> just the decision they've made and, and that's yeah. their business model. But I I wonder what they're they're passing up. You know, what are they missing out on because they have that? And so that's clearly their mindset is they want to get paid to speak. You know, that's, that's <laughs> one of those. But, you know, they, they really could be missing out on the, oh, my gosh, this audience is one where I could get a 50 percent return on on, you know, people that are there wanting to hire me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there comes a time in every speaker's life <laughs> where they want to make a decision. And at some point when you get popular, you have to make the decision. Am I going to speak for free or, you know, am I going to do a hybrid model or do I just want to be paid? And eventually many speakers get to the point where they want to be paid. Right. Although I always tell the speakers that I work with to always look <laughs> at the audience. Like if you do get a right. really great opportunity opportunity it they, the audience is your people mm -hmm. like they are your peeps and you know that they want what you have to offer then speaking for free might be a very viable option mm -hmm. however if they're not your people because <laughs> yeah. I, I saw one of my colleagues post one day you know speaking for free is better than not speaking at all and I'm like no really mm -hmm. <laughs> no I, I don't I don't think that that's quite true, because if you're speaking for free and it's, you know, and you're speaking in front of a rotary club with 70 year old men, and that's not your target market. It's not going to do anything for you and your business, especially when you're experienced. So you have to start making some strategic decisions. And I also tell my clients that, you know, they want to decide in advance, like how many pro bono gigs they want right. to do for nonprofits, causes they support, because that is amazing. It's an amazing way to give back. Mm -hmm. But you start, you have to like be strategic and make the decision. And if you make the decision, I'm only going to get paid for speaking and I don't want to get clients or customers from speaking, then you have to say no to some of those other opportunities then. Right. Well, and you will write your speech very differently. And I think that's the, the key that people need to remember is that's a different speech than if you mm -hmm. are there to get clients and customers. 
Yes. And yeah, it's a different journey you're taking your audience on. It's a different type of call to action you're going to have at the end of the speech. Because if you are getting paid by an organization, that organization wants you to produce some specific results for their people. Whereas if you are not getting paid and you're doing it for customers and clients, yeah, you still want to give that audience a result, but then you have to make sure that you have have a next step that they take with you that makes sense for what you talked about in the speech so that they can raise their hand and say like, hey, I'm interested in hanging out and getting to know you. Right. You know, and it is tricky, especially if you're just starting out, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to say, well, I want paid, you know, X amount. And, and of course, the key is to be reasonable. You know, just starting out, you're not going to charge $10,000. Yes. You can, but you're going to sit at home a lot. Um, you know, and, and, and you will have to figure out how to deal with the people who don't want to pay you. You know, yeah. who have a book that you want to sell, you know, all these various things that can work into it. You know, I've, I've shared with my listeners before that I had an organization back in Colorado that asked me to speak one time. And you had to be a member of the organization. So that was cool. And I was. It, I was a member. And so, you know, we get a little bit further into the conversation and I mentioned my speaking fee. Now, it was reasonable. I mean, mm-hmm. it was because I was there more to get clients than to, to speak. Yeah. So, you know, but I got dead silence. And I said, hello, you know, expecting to hear crickets. And mm-hmm. she said, we don't pay our speakers. And I said, oh. <laughs> and And then she said, you should consider it an honor to speak to our organization. And so, I, you know, and, and I said, I do. I really do know that you could go to a hundred other people and have them speak. But think of it this way. There's two gas stations on a corner and I go into one to get gas. And then I tell them, well, I'm not going to pay for that gas because you should be honored <laughs> that I didn't go next door. And she went, Oh, I get it. But we still don't pay to speak. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, as long as you understand. And then, you know, we all, and, and I actually still ended up speaking. But, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, there are those groups. And clearly it depends on what it is. You know, there are some organizations that, holy schmoly, I would, I would walk on fire to go speak in front of and never, mm-hmm. you know, all these various things. But chambers of commerce, things like that, that you know have budgets or worse. If they are charging people to attend mm-hmm. and my name as part of that draw, then no, they, they get to pay or at least cover expenses or something. I mean, you know, there's there's a variety of things that can be worked out. Yeah. You know, it's always bothered me the whole like, oh, well, we don't pay our speakers thing, you know, like it's an honor for you to right. talk in front of us. And mm-hmm. it's like, you are asking me to do unpaid labor. Right. Like, I can't go to my landlord and say, hey, it's an honor for you right. to have me live here. Right. It's I mean, an honor for the surgeon to operate on me. <laughs> I know. That's not how it works. And with the speaking industry, in some ways, I really wish speakers would unionize to right. stop this mm-hmm. practice because there are so many speakers who are desperate to speak that they're like, yeah, I'll speak for free. It doesn't matter. And it hurts all of all of the other speakers, because that means, you know, it's it's saying that our labor is not valuable. And that's not true because the speakers are the draw to an event. They're like, I just read a story from one of like a meeting planner research study that said like 77% of millennials choose what conferences to go to based on the speakers. So they are your talent. And the fact that you'll pay your catering company, but you won't pay the people who are on stage is ridiculous to me. And it is a practice that, you know, needs to be stopped, especially Mm -hmm. like if you are charging people two or $300 to come to your event and you're not paying your speakers, that's a huge problem. Right, right. And and there are ways around some things like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe you are speaking to, say, the Atlanta chamber. Then if they, you know, maybe they don't pay their speakers. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I would say, okay, then give me a year's membership. That yeah. costs them nothing, <laughs> you know? uh-huh. but I can benefit from that. 
you know, or maybe I want the mailing list or, you know, all these various things. And so if you're a speaker and you have, you know, these things that come up, think of other options. But, you know, if it's coming down to either I'm speaking just because I'm getting paid or I'm going to speak just to be able to speak, that comes across in your speech. I mean, you know, that's where you mm-hmm. really, you know, and, and we've all seen speakers like that. You know, they could care less. If you ask them what city they're in, they can't tell you. They certainly haven't personalized that speech because it is their canned presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and there is no way that that makes your audience feel special. You know, and, and so just really think about all of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, like I'm a big believer in having a signature talk, but I also think you you know, you customize that signature talk to who you're speaking to. You change out the stories or the introduction or the conclusion or whatever to say, hey, I've really thought about you and thought about this organization. So there's a lot of things you can do to customize without reinventing the wheel. Because I have seen some like Les Brown, like he is a speaker who gives the exact same talk Mm -hmm. down to the gesture of single time he mm-hmm. speaks and it's just like you know he's on automatic pilot and it doesn't right. mean he's not a great speaker it's just nothing ever changes which for me as a speaker would get boring like oh. not even thinking about the audience like I, I cannot do that myself but wow I just yeah like I love I love the live interaction and mm-hmm. getting to know people or having conversations beforehand with the audience members and being able to incorporate that into your speech. It just makes it so much more dynamic and engaging. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and if it's a conference, you know, one of the things that I like to do is attend other sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and and sometimes I have had to pay to attend the whole conference. I mean, you know, again, it's it depends on what it is. But you're right, you know, to be able to say, oh, my gosh, I went to this great session this morning where Michelle spoke and she talked about this and this and this. It ties everybody together and it makes them think, wow, she really did care about being here today. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing is like she cared about what we took away from this because I've seen this um, like I was chatting with a client a couple weeks ago and she's like, I saw the best speaker, Michelle. I'm like, really? Tell me about it. And she's like, oh, my gosh, she was so amazing on stage. It was so great. And I was like, yeah. So what did you take away? Mm -hmm. And she goes, I, she was a good speaker. I'm like, that's a problem because sometimes people are very dynamic and engaging on the stage, but their presentation is like fast food. And they just like an hour later, they're like, did I eat? I don't remember. Right, right. Well, and it's funny because you talk about that in your book is how to set your presentation apart from others. Because mm-hmm. honestly, nobody now unless you're really talking about something extremely personal, which you're probably not for a business presentation, nothing is unique and nothing is new. So you have to deliberately do things to make your presentation uh, stand out. So how do you do that? I think there's several different ways to do that. And I'm going to give you my favorite way to do that. (laughs) And that is about finding your strong viewpoints on the topic. Like I always talk about your rants and your raves. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm more of a ranter than a raver. If that isn't obvious by now, but looking at your industry and thinking, what would I like to see different? What really ticks me off? That is a great place to start pulling out things of how you do things differently. Because for me, like one of the things that ticks me off about my industry is people are like, well, if you have a story, then that's enough to be a speaker. Right? No, no, it's not. Everybody has a story. Your story has to be meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your story has to be meaningful. So what is it about your industry that just makes you go on a rant that you would like to see? What would you like to see different about Mm -hmm. your industry? Because that could be a fresh area. The other thing is to think about what do you really geek out on in Mm -hmm. your area? Like, what do you love about it? Like, I've worked with people who are all about numbers and profitability and... And they really, you know, want to help 
people like understand the numbers of their business and how to be profitable and they do it in a unique way and they use their sense of humor. They bring a little bit of themselves into it and it makes for a unique experience. And I think when you start looking at what your strong viewpoints are, what your rants and your raves are, you can find out how you do things differently. And when you do things a bit differently than other people, that's going to make you stand out. Right. You know, and, and it's funny because you talk about the fact that in order to know how you stand out, you have to know what your competitors are doing. Mm-hmm. And I love that concept because so many times we think, well, I don't want to see what they're doing because then I, you know, it, it might get into mine or I just don't want to know what the competitors are doing or I'm so special. I don't have competitors. Um, you know, right. Yeah. You know, we've all know. that. And, and I don't, again, I don't care what you're speaking about. Somebody has had a similar thing and that, and that they're going to be talking about it. But yeah. you know, the concept of checking out your competitors is gold. You know, folks, that is one of the best ways to figure out what you need to do and do it differently and hopefully better. You know, it yeah. might be just different, you know, it might be, you know, but yeah, you want to be different than every other Tom, Dick and Harry. Yeah. And I think people don't want to check out their competitors because of the comparison monster, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you look at so-and-so's website and they have this great video and they're speaking at all of these amazing places and you start thinking, oh man, I suck. Maybe I should just pack it in because I can never do what this person does and blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. And it's like, no, you need to see them as colleagues, And you can always use where they're speaking as places that you could want to speak in the future because clearly they're interested in your topic. Mm -hmm. And then look at how they approach their topic Mm -hmm. and look for like what you do differently. You know, like how are you different and what can you yes and like use the old improv technique. If they say, oh, yeah, I believe in this, you can say, yes, I believe in that, too. And when you add this, it's more powerful. So I think that that's the important part is you have to know the competitive landscape Mm -hmm. and how you fit into it and what makes you different and not be intimidated by, you know, like what other people are doing and what they've accomplished and where they're currently speaking. It's not about getting hung up in that comparison monster mind trap. It's about really looking objectively about what makes you different and how you can fit in the marketplace so that you can make an argument for why someone should hire you over someone else. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, and you shouldn't compare yourself to other speakers. You know, we keep talking about people that are like at a networking thing. There are people that are just really good at doing that. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, that's okay. You know, yeah. what is the unique thing that you're bringing? How are you helping the people? You know, all those various things. Focus on that as opposed to, oh, my gosh, I have to follow Michelle. And she's such a great speaker. Yes, 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 yes. Because it, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, we all have our own strengths. And so just really celebrating that fact. And if mm-hmm. speaking is not your big strength, don't beat yourself up because the person before you has 25 years of speaking experience and you just started last week. Right, right. Well, now, speaking of your presentation, when I was reading your book, there was something that just jumped out and whacked me in the face. Mm-hmm. And that is that when you are that you, that you have your speech, your presentation, your you know, whatever it is, you need to treat it like like it is because it is a product. Yes. Talk to us more about that, because I love that concept because so many people are like, oh, yeah, and I can speak about that, too. Mm-hmm. And that comes across. Yes, 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 yes. And this like really hit me in the face. I was at an event with my business coach, Tara Gentili, and she she worked with me at one point in time and she asked me the question. She was like, Michelle, do you know how many times I sold my speech after I worked with you? And it was a lot. She made a lot of money from the work we did together. And I went home that night and I was thinking about what she said. And then at three o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I was like, 
oh my gosh, she treats her speech like a product in her business Mm -hmm. that she would sell just like any other product. Because when you start thinking about it as a product, you're like, oh, I have to know why my audience would want this. Mm -hmm. Like, do I have a product that they actually want and want to hear? And how is it helping them? And what are the benefits of my speech? And what are the results of my speech? And that really changes everything because the way you construct your speech will be totally different because now you're thinking like a business owner who has to sell something. Mm-hmm. versus a, a person who's giving a presentation and wondering, hey, what should I talk about? What do I want to say to these people? Right. And it's a big mindset shift to have. And I think the other thing that it does, especially since we get so wrapped up in what our heads are saying between like comparison and inner critic and all of that, it really separates the speech from the speaker, So now you have a product that you can make better, you can tweak, you can optimize, and it's not so closely tied to your own sense of identity. And so I love that aspect as well. I mean, there's the business strategy aspect, but then it's like, now you're removing the speech one degree away from you and realizing like, okay, this is an objective thing that I sell in my business. Right. You know, it's a widget. What mm-hmm. do you do to improve the widget? Um, yes. You know, and, 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 and I love that because we do, and I think part of it is because, it, you know, if we're thinking, well, I can also speak about that, we don't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so then we, and, and again, that comes across. But when you're thinking of it as this is a product, that I am selling and, you know, we, we, we all decided, you know, okay, selling, there's a variety of different ways that you're doing that. But when it is that product, then you're taking it seriously. And that means that you're hopefully going to do a good job at it. Yeah. And I think it helps you know how to sell the product, know how to negotiate when you're in sales conversations. And what I find interesting was, you know, you said, oh, and I can speak about that too, is there was this time with speakers where the market wasn't as flooded. So people would read a book and they'd be like, okay, so I read a book on team development. Now I can talk about team development. And they would have this buffet of topics. And that is really gone out of vogue. Like people want experts to speak. They don't want generalists who read a book at one point in time. Your speech is really highlighting your expertise, just like your service or product that you're building in your business. You wouldn't create a product on something you didn't know anything about. Right. So because of that shift, (laughs) what does that mean when you're trying to promote your speaking? Yeah, I think that means you want to get known for something because the speakers who are the most successful, and I'm thinking like cream of the crop speakers, they are known for something very specific. So I think about like Mel Robbins, who is known for the five second rule, Simon Sinek, start with why. Sally Hogshead with her fascinate, like some of the best speakers, they are known for one thing. Mm-hmm. So you have to find that one thing that you want to be known for, which is a process. Right. <laughs> it's an iterative process. And then that becomes how you market. Instead of being like the expert on all of social media, maybe you're an expert on hashtags. I'm just making that up. Right. But, you know, like what is your one thing? And then when you're focused on one thing, your audience is able to spread that message and people mm-hmm. start knowing you for what you do. And then you start getting referrals for speaking gigs instead of having to hunt them down yourself. Right. You know, and the tricky part is, how do we as speakers adapt to this? Because so many people were the jack of all trades or maybe better yet, the flavor of the moment. You know, oh, I'm going to be a Facebook speaker because everybody because because everybody wants to know about Facebook. You know, how do we adapt to that mind shift? Yeah, I 
That is the million dollar question. And I know it's so hard for so many speakers because they worry like, am I missing out on opportunity? It's like picking a niche, right? Mm -hmm. You hear that all the time in business. You need to pick a niche. You need to pick a niche, which is Mm -hmm. true for speaking. But it's it's also true for your topic. You have to ask yourself, what do I want to be known for? What is going to be value, valuable and transformative for the audience? And what am I excited about, passionate about? And where those two things overlap is the topic you want to be known for. And I always say the upside to this is like, if you do that work, you then can create a really good product, your speech, and you get to save time because you're not recreating the wheel for every single audience or for the latest trend. And yes, you may have to adapt along the way, especially if you're like some expert in technology, because technology is always changing. Mm -hmm. But at least you can still be known for something. Mm -hmm. Well, and it is tricky because, you know, say you're a a speaker and you talk about Facebook and somebody comes up and says, well, we want you to talk about LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. If you're not really a LinkedIn expert, then you're thinking, well, but I'm losing business or clients or whatever if I don't do it. So sure, I'll do it. Um, and, And I'll be honest, that's how I initially got into talking about social media. You know, this was, was, you know, quite a few years ago when social media was still pretty um, new in its infancy stages. And so people knew that they kind of needed to do it, but were absolutely and totally terrified by it. And so in my signature line on my email, I had, you know, follow me on Twitter and I had my Twitter um, address and uh, uh, Women's Chamber of Commerce that I belong to contacted me and said, hey, we saw that you are on Twitter. We'd like you to give a series of programs about social media. And my first thought was, oh, crap. And my second thought was, well, sure. And so, of course, I go with the second thought and I told him, well, sure. But I had not been on my LinkedIn profile in probably five years. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was I used Twitter quite a bit. Facebook was still kind of like, what the heck are you supposed to do with that? And those, those were kind of the big three that you talked about. Yeah. But so I did, I told, sure, sure. And, but of course what I did was I said, I'm a little busy now. So let's schedule this for six weeks from now, figuring I could learn everything I needed to know Mm. in those six weeks. And all it did was kind of do this mishmash where I was the expert at nothing. You know, Mm -hmm. I could talk about it. But heaven forbid if somebody asked a, a very specific question. Yes. You know, and that's the tricky thing is we want to please people. We want to you know, make them happy. We want to get paid for that presentation, whatever it is. And we step out of that knowledge zone. And then more often than not, it bites us. Yes. Yes. And that's a problem. And then we always feel like I have to learn this new thing. I have to learn this new thing. And we never become an expert at anything because we have split intention, right? We're just all over the place. And social media is a really big playground where you can, yeah, I mean, you can be like, I'm a Facebook ads expert. I'm a Facebook ads expert for local ads. I'm a Facebook Mm -hmm. ad expert for local brick and mortar. I mean, you can just niche down and niche down and niche down. And that's how you're going to get known. It's not like I can do everything under the sun in social media because Mm -hmm. that's what they're asking me for. Right. Yeah. And then there are those people who say that whatever they do, Nobody finds interesting. It's mm-hmm. something that everybody, you know, yeah, you know, we all need it. We buy it. We whatever. But it's really not interesting. You know, and 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 I've had people tell me that with social media, you know, why should I have a Facebook page? Because what I do is boring. Nobody cares. Yada, yada, yada. And those are people like financial planners, insurance salesmen, people like that. How can people who think that their subject is boring get past that into giving talks and, and presentations that are very interesting. My first, uh, my, <laughs> my first thought was like, maybe they should be in another line of business. <laughs> right. if they think what they do is that boring. 
that's what come across. I mean, well, that's, that and, is kind of one of the things. Yeah, and it's like, well, how are you going to get known? Like, people are looking for experts. Like, I work with a lot of money people, a lot of mm-hmm. different types of, you know, everything from money mindset to more of the practicalities and profitability. And, like, if you don't think that that is interesting and important to people and that people have challenges and questions about it, then you are in the wrong business. And you're not going to be able to successfully promote yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's, I mean, it could be a mindset shift to be like, Mm -hmm. no, this is really important. And here are the 10, I just wrote down 10 reasons why this topic is important to other people. Mm -hmm. But if you can't find a way to be interested in it in yourself, then you're probably in the wrong business. Right. Right. You know, and a lot of what we do is one-on-one, you know, so say it's the insurance person. Yeah. So, you know, how does he, you know, successfully sell insurance to that one person? Well, then scale that up. Yeah. You know, is it by telling stories? You know, some of it is the, the, the features, you know, and all that stuff, but that's kind of down the road. You know, if you convince me that you have a great product and you can work with me, then that'll work. You know, so I don't need to know that you can do this for, you know, this coverage is $10,000 and whatever. Um, but, but it is, it's the stories that, that get people back, especially in an industry that you think might not be as interesting to folks. Yeah. And finding what that hook is, that is interesting because maybe you are selling insurance, but somebody is, you know, they, they don't know what they don't know and they don't know what they need and they don't want to find out on their own. How can you become like a member of their team? Mm-hmm. Like how can, you know, like it's really about positioning yourself in a way that gets people excited. Cause like, right. yeah, insurance might be boring, but if I know Ed's on my team and anytime I have a question that I can go to Ed and if he doesn't know the answer, he probably knows somebody that does. That's, an amazing resource, an amazing relationship to have. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not necessarily, you know, like I always talk about in my own work, you know, everybody wants to know how to get speaking gigs, right? We're like, how do I land speaking right. gigs? And I'm like, well, what's your message? And they're like, I don't need a message. I need speaking yeah. gigs. And I'm yeah. like, no, it doesn't work that way. You know, cart before horse. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, I'm also becoming like a member of their team that is mentoring them through this process and showing them like what they don't know. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know that you should probably have a speech before you go out and look for speaking gigs. Well, at least an outline, folks. You know, don't just say, hey, hire me to do this. And then they say, sure, tell us about it. Uh. (laughs) I know. And and you're like, oh, well, tell me what you want me to talk about. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or the, well, I read that your conference is about, so that's what I'll talk about. Mm, No, Mm no. (laughs) Yeah, that's not exactly what we're looking for. We want to see how your topic fits in with our theme. (laughs) Right, right. Because if it's a fairly large organization that you're pitching to, you probably have to give them that information. Mm -hmm. Or they're going to go to your website. They want to see samples of your work, social proof, all those various things. And and it is hard when you're just starting out. Mm -hmm. But it's so, you know... There are still steps that you can take without saying, I am new to this, to, to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean... Well, I think why everybody wants to skip to the speaking gauge gig part of it is because that is actually the easy part. The marketing, the pitching, that's mm-hmm. all easy. That's templates. It's relationship building. But finding out your message, like mm-hmm. who are you? What do you want to be known for? How do you serve? What are the results you choo- you, you produce? That mm-hmm. is the difficult part of the right. process. Right. You know, and, and it is about, you know, figuring out, as, as we've said, you know, we want to make the audience the star of the product mm-hmm. and your product is your speech. So how are you doing that? Yeah. And for me, it's always like when I first start working with clients, we do either one or two sessions on message strategy. And I have like five questions that I'm asking them about their audience. Like, what are their problems? What are their challenges? What do they desire? What do they believe about your message? Because if your audience believes that, oh, social media is completely useless, Mm -hmm. 
then wow, we have to have a real different conversation right. <laughs> if mm-hmm. that's your topic. Mm-hmm. Well, and and it's funny because if they know that, then you tailor your you know as you said you you tailor your speech to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and you show them what the value is. Yeah. You know, and it also comes back to what we've been saying several times. You've got to do your research, folks. Mm-hmm. You know who you're speaking to, know what they're talking about. You know, I and I've shared this before. I got heckled one time. It was actually very entertaining. Uh-huh. It was it was a little scary, but um, because the guy was he was he was a nasty heckler. Yeah. Oh. Um, but it was something he had paid to come to. He mm-hmm. knew what I was speaking about. And he was just not a happy person. I mean, you know, and, and, but I, it was one of those things where I used the, the royal word we when I was, was speaking. Well, we do this, we do that. And he interrupts from the back row, of course, because he came in late and made a production mm-hmm. coming in and getting his chair. And, yeah. you, know, you know, he was one of those problem children. And he said, You are not an engineer. I was speaking to a group of engineers. You are not an engineer. So how can you say we? And, you know, I looked at him and I said, you're right. <laughs> you mm-hmm. And and I and, and I apologize. Well, then he continued to heckle. I mean, you know, he interrupted me two or three more times. And but I had not done my research. And part of his heckling was pointing out that, you know, for example, engineers like numbers. Mm-hmm. And my presentation was a little too fluffy. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's same presentation that I would give, but it needed to be personalized. By saying X percentage does this or, you know, all these various things, engineers like numbers. They didn't want the anecdotes. And so I learned from my heckler. Now, I did ask him to leave. I mean, he it reached the point where he was not he was just so disruptive that I asked him to leave. And then I had somebody escort me to my car. I mean, he was that obnoxious. Wow. Um, and, And then I got like half a day later a request to connect on LinkedIn. I'm like, really, dude? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> no. <laughs> what? Yeah. Hecklers, I mean, they are very, very rare. Mm-hmm. And I always say you have to like almost use the audience against them because right. oh, yeah. when they're heckling, they, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. because, I, you know, like at one point I got heckled once, I think. And I just after a while, I just said to the audience, like, is anyone interested in hearing what he has to say? Right. And the audience went, nope. No. And he mm-hmm. shut up. Like, mm-hmm. that was it. He knew he, like, the audience was turned against them. They were there for the content. They wanted to hear what I had to say. And it's just, yeah, it's like some people, you know, they just, they're unhappy for whatever reason. And usually it's not about you. Um, but it is an interesting point of, you know, really understanding if you're talking to engineers, they're going to have different expectations than if you're talking to a women's empowerment event. And so how do you adapt your message to them and think about that in a way that makes strategic sense? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and it's to me, doing that advance work for a speech is part of that speech. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's one hour, two hours, you know, whatever it is, I spend that time, I redo my PowerPoint, you know, whatever it is, so that I know more about them. Yeah. And and I can talk to, you know, I spoke to a group at Lockheed Martin one time, and it was a women's group. It was a very interesting group. And I ended up knowing more about some of the stuff than they did. And it was really funny because they came up to me afterwards and and were just stunned. You know, they said, oh, my gosh, we never knew X, Y, and Z. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, huh, I did my homework. What do you know? Um, but that then lends to the fact that if somebody else says, hey, we need a great speaker, they're going to go ding, 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 ding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? um, but what are some other challenges that speakers have now, especially if you're trying to promote your business as part of your speech. Yeah, I think one of the biggest changes is that we are... This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.